This is Adam Gorney with Respect My Decision podcast this week, joined again by national recruiting analyst John Garcia, who flew across the country for Elite 11 and OT7. We're now back home, rested, and uh, ready to talk about it. The biggest surprise, John, was that Julian Sayan, not, not a surprise that he won it, but a surprise that he like looked like the best quarterback there, if not the country. How do you foresee number one, Dylan Rayola, number four, Julian Sayan, and weighing, you know, one event and then saying being good at OT7-2 in terms of final rankings here. Yeah, first of all, some extra shout-outs for Julian saying going to OT7 the same day Elite 11 yeah. ended, and he's the only quarterback I saw who took a Friday night-style shot in 7-on-7, seven seven, but uh, he fired that thing in there, got right back up, and, and probably led a, a touchdown drive soon after. So toughness, not a question with sand. And I think that's the biggest thing is Julian does everything well. There's no glaring weakness, but physically there's also no overwhelming strength. When you compare him to Rayola, who's got this great build and this, you know, Patrick Mahomes style and arm that, you know, every one of his five throws, you're like, my goodness, you know, how many people alive can, can do this. So yeah. that's really the conundrum, you know, is it floor versus ceiling? Is it traits versus what we've seen? You know, that that's really the, the nitpickiness that we have to go through between these two guys in particular, but you know, the elite 11 does hold a lot of weight. I don't want to minimize that either because this is the only time we get these guys one-to-one -one every single day competing with each other. And you see, a lot of that come out positive or negative throughout those three days. Cause you're going to have some bad throws. You're going to be off target just a little bit. How do you respond to that? I thought both of those guys showed that, that true desire, but the fire and consistency Julian plays with is, is really hard to, to oversell. I mean, it's, it's really constant in his game and it reflects what he does on Friday nights as a surely accurate and efficient player. So if, if it's about, playing point guard out there, it's hard to find a better quarterback in this cycle than Julian Sam. But if it's about making that, you know, Eli Manning to Mario Manningham throw in the Super Bowl, hitting that hole in the window, Rayola's talent is is overwhelmingly positive in that direction. So I think it's a debate that is going to last probably through signing day at this point between these two. Uh, but I also thought the week out there showed us this class is better than we thought. You know, there are some three stars that really looked good and some low four stars that are going to look like uh, they're underranked at this point. So I did like the collective out there at the Elite 11. I didn't think there was a guy who looked like he truly did not belong. And that's unfortunately not always the case. Yeah. I like the word toughness with saying because the coffee shops and the surf shops and the Pacific Ocean views and Carlsbad uh, don't don't get confused. The kid is is uh, has a little dog factor in him. Definitely a competitive kid on the sidelines about halfway through the 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 uh, pro day, which is sort of like the all important day. He came up to me and and asked what the high score was. So he was definitely interested in it. Uh, Rayola struggled in the accuracy competition the next day. He was definitely bummed out about it. It's like he, not like he didn't care about it. They, these guys are definitely there to compete and make a name for themselves. Um, so that's going to be an interesting debate. The other debate, and we've talked about this a lot, some off-the-record conversations too, Dylan Rayola against Ryan Puglisi when they get to Georgia. Puglisi is not – gave me the sense that he's not the kid that wants to be QB2 at Georgia. He wants to go there – and really compete for this, thinks he could um, and is not going to take a back seat to anybody there. 
reminds me of Mac Jones because that year he was coming into Alabama, he was always looked at as the QB2 to Tua Tango Vailoa. Now, it kind of worked out for both of them, and we don't always see that. But yeah. Jones was the second guy to commit, and he never wavered on that because he's just a confident kid. He's got that that clear to see chip on his shoulder. And I saw a lot of that from Puglisi out there. Um, yeah. First of all, um, bigger than I thought. I, I thought he was more physically well put together than maybe I expected, and especially compared to Mac Jones, no disrespect to, to the Duval native. Um, <laughs> but then he could rip it too. You know, that's the difference. I, I thought he, in a vacuum, if you didn't know about the recruiting situations leading up to that event and you would have walked away saying that kid's committed to Georgia. I don't think anybody would have been surprised by that. And I think going into it, if, if we had said that, I think you get some variance in the answer. So yeah, Puglisi's not going to take a backseat to anyone. Uh, of course they were cordial and, and spent a lot of time together in LA, but yeah, quarterback is its own animal when it comes to those things. And I think there's a reason why Georgia is bringing in too. you know, you always have to, you know, go for the best. And I think that's, that's easy to see, but you've got to bring in guys who are willing to go out there and battle. Cause I don't think, and, and this goes for Rayola as well. I don't think a lot of these elite quarterbacks would be okay with a two quarterback class. So for both yeah. of them to be on board and appearing incredibly solid, when you know, Puglisi's getting his phone calls every week from these other schools after Rayola committed, I do like that uh, about Georgia's uh, situation and their approach and certainly Puglisi's approach mentally, but physically he's no slouch, no doubt. Let's talk about some surprises. Luke Cromenhoke finished dead last in the pro day. He really did not look good. And I think if he, you know, if he was on here, he would admit it too. It was just not his best performance, but I came out of the weekend thinking, man, this guy could be legit at Florida state. He could start, he could be, the guy that takes, you know, Mike Norvell to the next stage here. And it's because he's hyper competitive. He, you know, he played a different position. He's only had one year of varsity football, uh, but he's got like athleticism and traits that you really like. Yeah. And his arm talent is great. You know, usually with those guys, you're like, okay, well, the motion's a little bit funky and it doesn't come out quite right. That that thing hums with, with yeah. Roman Hawk. So I, I think that's really where you start to get excited about his future. And like you said, day two, not his best day, but he bounced back really nicely in the accuracy challenge and in seven on seven and, and really kind of uh, re reversed the feel of, of that pro day night. So I like that too. You know, those are the other elements we get to see at the Elite 11. How do you deal with failure? You know, Danny O'Neill had an awful day one came back and had a much better day two and three. So we get to see some quarterbacks who who didn't breeze through it like like Julian Sand. And I think that's great value in the evaluation business. So, yeah, that three-star ranking, I think, is uh, a little old uh, in our minds, and he'll be getting a strong bump here uh, come August because he absolutely earned it. And, again, it's not like we're compensating physically here. He's, he's 6'2", 6'3", 200 pounds. And like you said, his pedigree was that wide receiver before the last, you know, 18 months. So all of that uh, bodes very well for his trajectory. And you also have to tip your cap to the Florida state evaluation, taking him before he ever started his first varsity game. That was a heck of a call by, by Mike Norvell. And I think he's going to get rewarded for it. Yeah. And I think Trevor Jackson was the other one that I would like to talk about as a surprise. He's a, a high three, but I remember one of the drills where they just really sort of lined up and started gunning the ball. I would stand right behind the receiver and praying that he caught every ball or I would have been dead. 
but the ball was really of any quarterback there. I think he threw it the, the hardest, the fastest, and it spun really well. You could hear it zipping in like a like a major league baseball um, in there. And, and and you know, on and the pro day, if he would have hit two deep balls early on, he would have had a much much higher score because especially his timing routes were were dead on. He was phenomenal in that. Uh, just talk about him and and kind of where you see the recruitment going now. There might be a little bit of confusion in terms of a Miami offer. Is Pitt the team to be? Where where do you kind of see this playing out now that UCLA is offered? Yeah, this one is is yeah twisting and turning as we speak here. But look, Trevor, you talk about a motivated kid. He was the lowest ranked kid, I think, across the board, all networks going into the Elite Eleven and the first big measurement was that event that you just broke down just say hey who can, who can rip it the hardest and everybody was ooing and eyeing when jackson spun it so from the jump he set the tone hey i'm here to compete and then he won the rail shot competition that night which is more about pushing it down the field with with great long ability uh, and timing so I, I thought he showed the whole arsenal as you said a couple deep balls got away from him at the pro day but everything else was on point and he had a really good day three as well the motion is really condensed with him and the ball comes out tight but the resume kind of like luke's wasn't there a one-year starter and he got hurt you know so it doesn't have the body of work that some of these other guys have so you understand why not only his rankings were sort of slow but his recruitment had been off to a slower start as well but since then miami has up communication whether they have offered or not remains to be seen, but UCLA did offer last week. Uh, Maryland has offered him a scholarship and Pitt was already involved. So it looks like he's got more options than, than he certainly thought he would. And I think it could potentially push his recruitment just a little bit further uh, into the summer. Normally these quarterbacks want to wrap up the process, but you know he's the last man standing out of these 20 guys. And I think it could last a little bit longer because he's got to get out to some of these schools to truly see his options. But in terms of where he's been, you got to feel really good about Pitt because uh, that's the only official visit he's taken that uh, is a, to a program that's still looking for their QB one. So Pitt, I think timeliness wise is, is in really good shape, but, but no doubt other schools are calling and trying to learn more on Trevor Jackson after that impressive showing. Let's talk about throwing motions because this is an important conversation, maybe more important. I mean, maybe less important than we put on it, but maybe not, I, it, you know, Larry Bird didn't have the smoothest stroke. Steph Curry shoots everything <laughs> off balance. Like, you know, th those kinds of things. DJ Lagway has a quirky throwing motion and Jaden Davis dips the ball dramatically behind him where edge rushers will knock it away. I mean, that, that will be two things that need to be addressed. How do you address it and how much weight should we put into? It doesn't look the, the greatest, but it gets to where it needs to go. Yeah, I think both of those guys compensate for the motion with great power. I will give them that, especially Lagway. I think um, the other quarterbacks will tell you, you know, out, outside of Jackson, it was probably Lagway who was was putting the most velocity, uh, the most consistent velocity on the football. So he also does it from a taller release point. Uh, he's yeah. a legitimate six foot four. You know, few quarterbacks look better on the hoof than DJ Lagway. And and while it is a little bit whippy i would say baseball ish and he does have a baseball background he does still release it relatively high and he's six four davis on the other hand is six two ish and he releases it even lower than lagway does so now to me you're minimizing 
your your area. Everyone's talking about Bryce Young in the NFL looking so small, but Bryce is delivering it higher technically than Jaden Davis is, despite being, you know, three or four inches shorter. So I do think the motion has a huge impact. Again, Phillip Rivers was funky, but he was 6'5", 6'6". So you didn't notice it as much because he wasn't getting his balls deflected. And I also think it has a big impact on the deep ball. And that is where we saw more inconsistencies with really both of those players as the week at the Elite 11 wore on. So I do think you put some stock into it because we have to go off of precedent. There are just not many guys who Tim Tebow, Philip Rivers, who dip the ball or have a elongated motion that we're still able to sustain success at the highest level, which is obviously what we're trying to project. So let's talk potential five stars and there are no guarantees here and things can change. I think CJ Carr is a guy that we have to discuss and Air and Merkling, Jake Merklinger wasn't there, so we can't discuss him, but Aaron Noland might've been the guy who I will politic most for of saying, Hey, yes, he's a lefty. Okay. I get it. But his, he's technically incredibly sound and every ball is almost thrown perfectly. So Break down those two, what you think of them, and and what I said, if if it's right. Yeah, both of them have a little Julian saying in them, and in, in where they're not going to physically make your jaw drop with an eighty yard throw, but if you look up at the stats and the numbers, it's like, man, this this guy doesn't miss. You know, when, when yeah. those two Carr and, and Nolan get into a rhythm, it looks great, it looks consistent. Both of them have elite footwork as well, so all of the little things mechanically from a polish standpoint are very strong with these two and the results speak for themselves. I mean, both of them multi-year starters, incredibly productive on Friday nights. And in a vacuum, if you took everyone's 10 best throws, I think Nolan and cars would be right up there with, with saying Riola and the other top performers at this event. Uh, so I think that says a lot because it's about getting the football there. It doesn't have to be Trevor Jackson velocity every single time. It just has to, be there and both of them uh in between the ears i think from an anticipation and accuracy standpoint uh they just get it they have it all, all that qb1 stuff what is it they both have that so i could see each of them in, in the um, not only qb1 conversation but the five-star conversation before all is said and done especially in this day and age and i think as we sort of update our evaluations you have to take the modern game in, into account. Uh, and the guys who are throwing the hardest aren't always the ones, you know, winning the most games at the highest level. It's it's those point guards out there who are distributing. You know, I think Drew Brees sort of changed that whole perception of, of quarterbacking. And now you're seeing, you know, your Tua Tengovailoas of the world go out there and rack up crazy numbers without going crazy with, you know, their arm strength. And I think these guys can sort of follow in the, in that line. All right, we could talk a lot more Elite 11. We're going to stop there. Uh, that is the Respect My Decision podcast for this week.